4. The word hallelujah translated really means praise ye Jehovah. And unfortunately, the words that Leonard Cohen penned did not do that. But, praise the Lord, there was a young lady in Canada named Kelly Mooney that did pen some Christian lyrics and it turned that song into a wonderful spiritual song. And we'd like to do that for you this morning. The name, Hallelujah. A crown of thorns placed on his head He knew that he would soon be dead He said, I'm always obedient, Father, to you They nailed him to a wooden cross Soon all the world would feel the loss Of Christ the King before his hallelujah Hallelujah Hallelujah, hallelujah. He hung his head and prepared to die, then lifted his face up to the sky, said, I am coming home now, Father, to you. A reed which held his final sip was gently lifted to his lips. He drank his last and gave his soul to glory. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. The soldier who lived by the sword, he pierced the body of our Lord, said truly this was Jesus Christ our Savior. He looked with fear upon his sword, then turned to faith, his Christ and Lord fell to his knees, crying hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Took from his head the thorny crown and wrapped him in a linen gown, then laid him down to rest inside the tomb. So holds in his hands, his feet and side, now in our hearts. We know he died to save us from our sin. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Three days went by and again they came. To visit the tomb and prepare the slain With oil and spice anointing Hallelujah 
But when they came to move the stone, they saw that they were not alone. For Jesus Christ has risen. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Those truths, and we are so thankful. And uh, thankful for those that wrote uh, the lyrics to it. Get off that section. There we go. All right. Take your Bibles with me, please, and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We've been in a series started here just shortly, a few weeks ago, and dealing with uh, going through the book of 1 Timothy, verse by verse, and sharing the truth that God had recorded for us and preserved for us. So far, we've seen in um, chapter 1 here, and we divided it into three parts. We've already looked at two main parts of it, uh, all of it dealing with three responsibilities of the local church. The first responsibility is in verses 1 through 11, to teach the truth. And we are to do that so that there is no false doctrine, so that there is no incorrect teaching. We've talked about that even in song. We need to be careful about songs that we use so that it's not incorrect doctrine taught through the songs or communicated through the songs. You need to be careful of that. And what you listen to uh, in your music, you need to be careful of who you listen to, preachers on radio or internet. You need to be careful of, of what you Google and read. Just because it says it's Christian doesn't mean that it's truth of God's Word. Uh, it is so important. And I was reading uh, just uh, this morning uh, in Acts, I believe it was chapter 18, toward the end of uh, the, I think the last verse. And it was talking about a man named Apollos. And he had been instructed, and he had been very smart man in the scriptures, but he was instructed uh, more clearly for the truth of God, uh, of Jesus Christ. And he convinced the Jews powerfully uh, concerning Jesus Christ, who he was, and what he was doing. And uh, he did it because he used the scriptures. He said, in using the scriptures. That's the Old Testament scriptures. Folks, truth is fine, but if it's not tied to this truth here, it's hard uh, to believe. We need to understand there's a lot of people that say they have the truth. But if it does not coincide with Scripture, that's why it's so important whether we preach, teach, whether we say to our children, this is what you ought to believe. It's not because Daddy or Mommy said so, but it's because God said so. That's where it has to be anchored. And that's why it's important for us all to know the Scripture. We're to teach the truth. And so we can recognize false doctrine. So you can recognize the counterfeit. Of Satan. In verses 12 through 17, we saw the salvation of the Apostle Paul mentioned there. 
uh, how undeserving you thought that he was, and it showed us that we are to proclaim the gospel as a church. That's the responsibility we have so that people get saved. They'll get baptized. They'll be added into the church, church membership. And then today we want to look at these final few verses, 18 through 20, where Paul told Timothy he was to defend the faith as a church. We have that responsibility so the church is not corrupted with false doctrine or with godless living. And we'll see how that works in just a moment. This third section uh, is what we want to consider today, and it's how to war a good warfare. Look at verse 18. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy. Remember, uh, Timothy was Paul's spiritual son. He had led him to the Lord. Uh, I, I give this charge unto you, Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, they have hurt their lives lately, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Father, I pray that you would help us this morning as we look into your word to understand not just what it is saying, but in light of that knowledge, what are we to be? How are we to be affected by this truth today? I pray that you would guide me through your Holy Spirit to be able to share very clearly and fluently your truth. I pray that the Holy Spirit also would help each one that's listening today, both uh, here in this room and those that are watching uh, on the Internet and through our YouTube page. I pray that all of this, those that are listening, would not be distracted from the truth but you would help them to listen very carefully into what you want them to receive this morning. And we'll thank you and praise you for it all. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Two parts that the Apostle Paul really addressed here, both of them have to do with responsibility. One is an internal responsibility, the other an external responsibility. I want to look at the external first. In verses 19 and 20, Holding faith and a good conscience, Paul says, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenius and Alexander, who I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme, that they may deliver them unto Satan. That seems to be a very harsh type of a statement to make, one in which is a very serious, and it is. But I want us to see that church discipline is being seen here, and it's always for the purpose of reconciliation. It's for the purpose of teaching. Uh, it says there that they may, at the very end of verse 20, that they may learn not to blaspheme. It was for the purpose of teaching them to learn something. All church discipline that's exercised is done so for that purpose. If it has to be done, it is to be done in such a way that the end result is what we would desire, that they would come back into the Lord and that they would live for the Lord and be a part of the church in fellowship with the Lord and other believers. That is the part, uh, just like with God's chastisement, very similar. When God chastens a child as he is, he does so, he says, because he loves us. He won't leave us alone but he will 
chasten us. He will bring experiences in our life, difficulties in our life, even to the point of death, if necessary, to take us home prematurely, if we do not turn back unto Him. But it's always to be brought in for the purpose of turning us back into the Lord, that we would uh, be in fellowship with Him. In Hebrews chapter 12, which deals with, with God's chastisement, he says in verse 11, And no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. God, when he brings in the chastisement, has a purpose. And that purpose is to bring us, to exercise us into righteousness, to bring us back to that point. And everyone that says there, uh, which are exercised thereby, which take advantage of that and respond to that correctly, will be back in righteousness before the Lord in their actions, in fellowship with the Lord, and in fellowship with other believers. And that is God's purpose. It's always for our good because He loves us. And that's what we see as well when it comes to church discipline. Now, church discipline is, is something that, that is never, never looked forward to by any church, by any pastor that has to exercise it within the church. And some people don't even understand how that works. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, for me, possibly for you, the way that you live in this world as a Christian is my business. And let that sink in just for a moment. Hebrews also has in chapter 13 and some verses that deal with that. Because I've got to give an account unto God for you. And hopefully it says that it would be in a good way because otherwise that would not be good for you. And so it's important that I not only just teach you from here and in classroom the truth of God's Word and encourage you to live it, but there comes a certain point where when it's not being done that I have a responsibility to take a closer step to that. And so never do I enjoy that kind of conversation. Never do I enjoy that kind of a, of a situation. And so it is important for us to understand the truth of what God says about it and the purpose behind it. Paul will use some very strong words when he says that he would deliver them unto Satan. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 5, if you'll turn over there with me, please. He said, deliver them to Satan for the destruction of the body. Uh, only twice in the New Testament is that phrase used, deliver to Satan, both of them by the Apostle Paul, and one of them is here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We begin reading in verse 1, it says, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. Now the word fornication is the Greek word pornea, and it's where we get the word pornography, but it's a broad term, and it means any kind of sexual sin, it could be adultery for as uh, married individuals but not married to the same uh, the person there. It could be uh, uh, um, uh, premarital sex. It could be homosexuality. Uh, it could be uh, pornography. It could be all of these different things. All of it is lumped into that fornication. And here he explains further. He says, 
It's commonly reported that there is fornication among you, and such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles, among the, the heathen of the lost, that one should have his father's wife. And ye have are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. Look at verse um, 6 and 7. Your glory is not good. You know not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. You know what leaven is? Yeast. You put a little bit of leaf yeast into the dough and it, it kind of permeates the entire uh, lump. The same thing is true. The yeast here, the, the leaven here represents sin. You allow a little bit of sin into the church and it affects the entire church. And it's important. Purge out therefore the old leaven that uh, you may be a new monk as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for you. Verse 9. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to keep company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world. In other words, I'm not talking about the lost people or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters. For well, then must ye needs go out of the world. You couldn't live in this world if you had to separate from everybody that's lost that was a sinner. Um, I expect lost people to sin. I expect my lost neighbors to sin. I'm not shocked when I hear of some that live in sin constantly. I don't try to talk to a lost person about quit sinning. A lost person needs to hear about Jesus Christ's salvation that's freely offered to them. Only then have they the power to say no to any temptation. Only then do they come to realize what God has said in His Word that applies to us. Only then can they have any heart desire to separate from sin and please the Savior. He says, I'm not saying that separate from all of the lost people that are sinners in the world. But verse 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother. Alright? He is testifying that he is a brother in the Lord, a Christian. A brother or sister in the Lord, one that has, has a testimony that they have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. If that is the case, if that brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a raver or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such a one know not to eat. He says there, do not keep company with a Christian, a person that claims to be a Christian, if they're living in sin, remove yourself from their company. What is my, what is my friend? Remove yourself from their What is the purpose of doing it? Hopefully, so they would say, hey, I miss your friendship. This sin is not nearly as important as my friendship with you. I'm going to get right so that I can be your friend again. That's part of it. But your part, a little leaven can affect you as well. Don't let their sin become a stumbling block in your own life. 
Don't let their reputation rub off on you. It's important because if we keep company with the wrong folks, it will affect us. It's kind of like bad health. It's not too many people that says, hey, I've got COVID. Why don't you go and be around all the healthy people and you'll get healthy like them, right? No. It's not the, the people that are living for the Lord that automatically makes other people live for the Lord, but it's people that are not living for the Lord that can affect people that are living for the Lord and cause them to step away. We can become infected with their mentality of sin and follow the same way. Be careful with that. Verse 13, at the end, Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Paul gives us the instructions. As a matter of fact, he gave specifically in verses 3 through 5 of his judgment. He says, For I verily, I truly, as absent in body but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, when you come together in the church, and my spirit, or with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Again, we have here church discipline in mind. That Paul says, even to the point where if they're not going to turn, if you, you talk to them and they're suddenly rejecting and say, I'm going to continue, I'm not going to quit, then there's action to be taken. They're to be removed from among us. Church membership is to be taken away. We're not to have fellowship with them anymore because we want them to be embarrassed. We want them to miss being able to be part of the church. If we just let any church member who lives in sin just keep on coming and uh, not say anything and do anything, what is the draw of them getting out of their sin? To them. There's no cost. But God says there should be a cost. And he's going to deal with it on his part in chastisement. And the church is to deal with it on our part, the church discipline. It's important for us to understand how God works. The other time that this uh, phrase is used is right here in First Timothy chapter 1, uh, in verse 20. Whom I have delivered unto Satan, that he learn not to blaspheme. Delivered unto Satan indicates something to me. It indicates to me that they were not under Satan's power to begin with. Okay? You remember the, the God's servant Job in the book of Job. And Satan came to God and God said, Have you considered my servant Job? And he, he has obeyed me, served me, faithful to me. And the devil said, Satan said, well, the only reason he does that is because you're so good to him. You blessed him with so much, but you let me get a hold of him and take all that away, and he'll curse you in your face. So God said, okay, I'll allow you to touch him, but I limit you in that you cannot take his life. 
Now, God allowed Satan to bring all of those trials into Job's life, one wave right after the other. As we've studied Job, and many of you have, you come away saying, how can any one person go through that much trial and that quick of, of a time in their life and, and come out on the other side still praising and serving God? But Job did. But the point is, God had a hand of protection upon him. He was under God's umbrella of protection until God removed it. I believe that every child of God, every member of the church, is under God's umbrella of protection. It's when we step back from under that umbrella, when we're taken out of church membership and discipline, when we're in that and God has to bring in chastisement, that he may do what he did with the Apostle Paul even, and say he allowed Satan to buffet him with a thorn in the flesh lest he be lifted up in pride for all the prophecies that God had given concerning the writing of the Word of God. There is a protection as a believer. There is a protection within the church as members. It's when we step out from under that or remove that from under that that, excuse me, that we become open to attack by Satan. To be turned over to Satan is to be removed from the protection and made an open target. I believe it included removal from membership, where it says there in 1 Corinthians 5 13, to put away from among you and removal from fellowship, not to keep company with that individual. Um, the destruction of the body, what does it include? I believe it can include things like physical illness. Loss of not only your, your health, but job, opportunities, happiness, uh, ease of life. All of these things can come under the things that, that Satan is allowed to bring into your life and the destruction of the flesh. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 30 even tells us it can be life itself can be removed. In 1 Corinthians 11 30 says, For this cause many are weak, and sickly among you, and many sleep. The word sleep means that they're dead. <clears throat> there have been sin going on there, and he says the cause of this that hasn't been dealt with, there are people that are sick, there are Christians that are sick. God has brought sickness into their life because of their sin, or God's chastisement. And he's even taken some lives prematurely as believers because they suddenly would not turn back into the Lord. James 5.20 let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way, talking about a Christian that's sinning, he that converted the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Save a soul from death. You may, in turning that person back into the Lord, and he which your spiritual flesh exists, restore such a one. If we do that, it may save them from having die prematurely and they hide a multitude of sins, be sure your sin will find you out, Scripture says. <clears throat> and we need to understand God's seriousness about it. Remember the purpose of embarrassing this person 
and impressing this person is always a changed heart. We always want to see the changed heart. We may call it tough love. And that's really what it is. Just like God loves us too much not to bring chastisement in, we ought to love each other too much not to practice church discipline when it's necessary. But that's the external responsibility that Paul was discussing here. I want us to see next a very important part of the internal responsibility. In verses 18 and 19, this charge I committed to thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Now what is Paul speaking about here? Well, if church discipline is seen in the external responsibility, then here is personal discipline seen in this internal responsibility. A personal discipline that we have responsibility for. Paul gave Timothy a charge. The word charge there is a military order that is passed down. In other words, it was not a suggestion. This was something that he has given him orders to do. God ordered him. God orders us this morning as well. According to the prophecies, uh, Tim's calling to be confirmed as the pastor of the church of Ephesus uh, was dealt with that way. Today, we deal with it a little differently. Matter of fact, uh, he begins to teach here in, in chapter 3, verse 1, concerning uh, a pastor coming into a church. He says, uh, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of bishop, he desire the good work. For a bishop, then must be blameless. And he goes through the qualifications of a bishop. Now, for some of you that may not understand, when you look in Scripture, you find over and over again that an elder, a bishop, and a pastor, or the shepherd of the church, uh, is used interchangeably. Sometimes within the same verse, or within several verses together. And in, in Titus, he even uses it in the qualification interchangeably between elder and bishop. And so we're talking about the same office, the office of a pastor. And when we get there, I want you to learn what are the qualifications of a pastor. Because there coming a day, if the Lord does not come back first, that this church will have to get another pastor. Either I'm going to be dead and gone, or I'll be too old to stand up here before you uh, to be able to do this anymore. Uh, or my mind may start to, to give way and not be able to think and, and carry on a, a, a conversation with you. I've already been practicing with that a little bit. <laughs> but anyway, uh, there's coming a time that there's going to be responsibility in the church. And what are you going to look for? You look for the qualifications that God says. That has to be the man that you call to stand before you as the pastor of the church. And we'll look at that when we get there. But uh, he's talking about this, this young Timothy that has been called to be there and pastor. And the, and the process, by the way, uh, that works. When a man feels like that he is called uh, to be a pastor, uh, that is a calling that he surrenders to initially. I believe then it's important, especially in this day and time, that he get some training. Timothy had been 15 years with the Apostle Paul. That's quite a bit of training. But uh, it's important to get, uh, get training, uh, to be that pastor, to be ready and equipped the best that you can. 
then uh, besides of that, that calling that is there, after a calling and training is normally what's called an ordination. The uh, home church of that young man that's surrendered to go into the ministry, uh, the pastor normally would have an ordination council that they would they would test this young man, give him a lot of questions and, and situations and see how he does and his knowledge of what's going on. And then they would put their stamp of approval on him as having been ready uh, for the ministry. And then there is the, the actual uh, call to a specific church. And the way that works is God calls a man to a church and the church recognizes that call. And it doesn't work like this. Um, if I were to go to a church and say, hey, God has told me he wants me to be the pastor of this church. Well, then the church would say, uh, well, it's funny because the Lord hasn't told us that. <laughs> uh, there have been some men that have tried that with some churches. Uh, there's also been some churches that have tried contacting me, and I've been contacting the four service and say, hey, if you go, we feel like that you know, the Lord would want you to come and, and be our pastor. And I said, well, that's funny, because the Lord hadn't said anything to me about it. And that's both that has to come together. That's what happened when I came here. Uh, we had, um, well, there's a too long a story to tell it, but, but uh, the way that worked out, uh, the church said, hey, we would like to, uh, to have you consider being the pastor and, and pray about that and uh, sit down and figure out uh, financially what you think you might need. And I uh, said, I'll, I'll pray about that. And so Vicki and I sat down and we figured out what we would need. And we came back and we, we got back with the men of the church and uh, came in both figures and both answers were exactly the same. And God did that. And I believe that. Uh, it's not the first church I had mandated in to be a pastor. There were some that Vicki and I ran out of. And when we walked into here, we didn't even know that the church didn't have a pastor. But the Lord brought all of that together at the right time and in His way. In His time, He makes all things beautiful. Amen. And so we see how God works, and he brought Timothy into this church, and he said there, I want you to war a good warfare. What does that mean? He says, holding faith and a good conscience. These are two things that Paul emphasized with this young Timothy as a pastor of this church, and his internal responsibility to discipline himself in the, in the Lord. He was to... Uh, to war it for warfare. Uh, you know, Paul several times em emphasized or reminded us that we're in spiritual warfare. He did so uh, constantly with analogies, with, uh, with uh, scripture that he gave, illustrations. In 2 uh, Corinthians 10, 4, he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God and pulling down strongholds. They're not carnal, they're not physical, they're spiritual. Ephesians 6, 12, we studied about the, our spiritual uh, armor that God gives us. Well, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness. That's the, the battle that we are against. This war is between the Christians and temptation. 
This war uh, is against angels and demons against each other. That's uh, invisible to us, but it just as much as real. It is definitely real. And ultimately, that war is between God and Satan. Satan is the accuser of the brethren, according to Revelation 12.10. And so when Randy Blackwell sins, Satan steps up to God and says, Hey, he doesn't really love you. He's not listening to you. He's listening to me. He tries to rub it in God's face. Praise the Lord for 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. My children, I write unto you that you sin not. And or but if we any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is our paracletus, is the my favorite Greek word that this person is. Jesus Christ is the one called alongside as my defense attorney and says it's under the blood. Praise the Lord for that. Not to take advantage of it, but praise the Lord for God's love. Therefore, Paul told Timothy to war a good warfare by holding faith and keeping a good conscience. Faith and conscience are repeated subjects that uh, Paul emphasized to Timothy. In chapter 1 and verse 5, now the end of the commandment is charity, is love out of a pure heart and a, and a good conscience and a faith unfeigned, genuine faith and a good conscience. In uh, chapter 3 and verse 9, holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. Over and over, the emphasis is on faith and a pure conscience. What does it mean to hold faith? I thought it's talking about the faith, not just having faith, but holding fast to God's revealed truth, what we believe. We're to hold on to the Word of God. We're to guard the Word of God in our heart. We're to not let anything remove it from us. And uh, we are to, to stay in it. It is so important. I just got a um, card for my birthday. And, well, I guess it wasn't for my birthday. It was from someone that gave us a card about Pastor Appreciation Month uh, in October. And um, they were no longer in the church. But they said, I remember you emphasizing to us you must read your Bible you must obey your Bible and over and over and over because I will keep telling you you can't do what you don't know. And I pray that we would get that and have it ingrained into us to the point that we would know the truth of God and that we would have it within our hearts. It is so important. God revealed truth, what we believe. Paul emphasized God's word with Timothy, and he told him over in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, and in verse 20, he says, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Keep means to guard. Guard, what was it committed? He had, God had committed unto him his word, specifically the gospel. He was to guard the word of God. In uh, chapter 4, in verse 6, it says, uh, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith, 
and in good doctrine. Um, here, we are to be, and Timothy was to be nourished with God's Word. We are to be nourished uh, as well. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, he told Timothy, he says, Preach the Word. Proclaim the Word. We're to do the same. We must guard God's Word by studying, learning it, obeying it, and, uh, and sharing it with others, defending the faith. Uh, we must be nourished by the Word of God daily as we get into God's Word and learn what it says and, and meditate upon those things. And we must preach, we must proclaim the Word by teaching, whether it is um, uh, in a classroom setting that we're teaching or whether it's just teaching of our children at home or teaching just in a conversation with another believer. We are to be teaching and certainly witnessing uh, to others with the Word of God. So holding faith, holding on to God's revealed truth is what God, what uh, Paul was saying unto Timothy, what God is saying unto us. Secondly, keeping a good conscience. A good conscience, we've already learned, is a result of pure living. God, uh, godness, godliness in our lives having godliness in our lives, living in such a way as God would be pleased with what we are doing and how we are behaving. A properly working conscience warns us when we are sinning. It's kind of like uh, pain to the body. Pain in our body warns us something's not right here. And our conscience, if it is working properly, when we sin, it speaks to us and says, hey, wait, something is not right here. Now, we've already dealt a little bit and, and warned you about a, a distorted conscience or a, uh, uh, a dead conscience. A distorted one is one that uh, is defiled. We're not to have a defiled conscience that gives wrong information. And we're not to have a, uh, a dead conscience, one that's seared, that does not have any feeling at all, doesn't give us any indication, any information, but um, a conscience that's properly working is one that will indicate to us when we are doing wrong. Paul always put forth a great effort to have what he said in Acts 24, 16, to have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. He said, in other words, I don't want to have a conscience that's bothering me about anything that I've done that God knows about or that others know about. I don't want to have a, a conscience that bothers me about any sin that I've committed or anything that I've said uh, that offends someone else. I want to be free of that. A clear conscience. A pure conscience. Paul desired that same godliness, that same purity for Timothy. He desired it for Timothy's church, the Ephesian church. And God desires it for every one of us today, right now. He desires for you to have that clear, pure conscience this morning. Is your conscience bothering you about anything right now? With God's spirit speaking to you about something that you know that's wrong right now. 
Without doctrinal purity, it's hard to have purity of life. Because what you believe affects how you behave. And so it's important for us to, to guard God's Word in our life, uh, to hold faith, uh, God's revealed truth, and to keep a good conscience, a pure conscience, in the way we behave. Paul charged Timothy to war good warfare by holding that faith and having that pure conscience, to defend the church against false doctrine and against godless living. Uh, we are to do that. Let me ask you a question. For you today, what is more likely to be the case? Are you more likely to have false doctrine that you're promoting to others as a problem? Or are you more likely to have godless living as a problem? Now some of you say, God, no, godless living? I mean, that's terrible. My sin is a little one's. You know I'm joking. Because there are no little sins. How big of a sin is necessary to separate you from God's fellowship? Doesn't matter. Just one sin. It breaks our fellowship. God must live, I believe, is much more likely a problem that we're having to deal with. Internal discipline that we see here that Paul is saying. And he says we're to guard God's word that's been revealed to us. And we're to seek to maintain a pure, clean conscience before God and people. That's our responsibility. If we get these two correct, we will find it much more easier to keep both ourselves pure and to keep our church pure. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me just for a moment.